All right, everybody, welcome to the Musical Splitting Podcast. I am your host and internet service provider, Kavitaharian. And I'm cultural appropriation, Lindsay Ellis. <laughs> Personified. Yeah. This was a joke because apparently someone on TikTok is saying that buying the uh, BTS Happy Meal at McDonald's is cultural appropriation if you're not a BTS stan. I don't because I don't understand things. Well, it's because BTS standum is a culture. There's just there's a lot of it's things. It's not Korean the- culture that's being appropriated. It's BTS stan culture that they're upset about. I don't know. Being appropriated. I don't understand anything, but thankfully I'm in a position of being an old person, so I can just shake my yeah. fist at the clouds and say, I don't understand what young people do. It's literally your job not to understand. <laughs> My job's a lot easier than yours, I have to say. Yeah, it's true. I just kind of have to be... You're an, allowed to be wrong. Right, I can just be an idiot, though. And, then and before think, we get into it, we need to issue a retraction. <laughs> oh, right. Um, yeah, like, I don't know how I missed this, but there was, in fact, a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Broadway musical. It ran for about nine months in 2017. Makes sense that I missed it, because that was, like, right as I moved away from New York again. But apparently, like, there was a West End version that people liked, and uh, nobody liked the Broadway version, and that's all I know. Look at us. Growth, retractions. Growth. See, we can admit, we can admit when we're wrong. <laughs> we're admitting that we hadn't made, made a mistake. Uh, yeah, so sorry to all you Char- <laughs> Wonkins, Charlies, Wonkheads. What are they called? Yeah, Wonks. Uh, Wonks. Anyway, lasting gobstoppers. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about, as you probably guessed from the episode title, "In the Heights," which was, if I'm not mistaken, our boy. Lynn Manuel Miranda's first musical, right? It was fifty percent of his oeuvre, yes. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's true. He's only done two, huh? He's only done two. I mean, I guess when the one fifty percent of what you've done is like the most influential in like a yeah. generation, it's probably okay. And one hundred percent of what you've done has won best musical at the Tonys. Oh, they both won. Yeah, they both won. Uh-huh. I didn't think Hamilton would win. Ha ha! Just kidding. Get it? Because Hamilton, won, I would assume, won everything. Uh, but. Yes, in the Heights, we decided to break the quote-unquote rule, which Lindsay likes to stay steadfast yeah, to. And I'm we're doing, I'm doing really good at in, that because I'm like, to it. <laughs> well, in in the Heights is not getting revived anytime soon, probably within the life of this podcast. So yes. we're like, all right, fine. Uh, the new movie uh, is coming out. Uh, it came, well, out, it came out a couple days. Yeah, it came out a couple days ago. And uh, it's getting rave reviews, so uh, we're going to do it. We're going to, we did the thing where you like rent a private theater, which is a thing you can do now. Yes, this has um, been, that makes it sound way more ritzy than it is. I mean, it is cool, yeah. but it's like, it's part of this pandemic thing where they have these yeah. <laughs> cinemark is like you can rent a theater and then they can invite 20 of your friends and then no one else is allowed in there. So it's. It's a safety thing. That's why we did it. Not because it's awesome, but because we care. Oh, I thought you were doing it to keep the rabble out. <laughs> oh, true. That's true. We're going to go see it tomorrow. We've invited some friends. It's going to be a fun time. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, anyway, according to yeah, the critics. Could suck. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Could suck. So, anyway. So give us some, some The Heights stats. The Heights. So In the Heights is a musical. Love The Heights. <laughs> In the Heights is a musical with music and lyrics by Lin-Manuel Miranda and a book by... Uh, Chiara Alegria Udes. I'm glad I don't have to say this. Chiara, it's Chiara? I don't know how to say it. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. Alegria Udes. 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 I don't Udes. know if you need the H. I'm I do not, not sure. know. Chiara I, I, is a name I have not stumbled across. Chiara's a nice name. Uh, the story the story is set over the course of three days involving characters in the largely Dominican neighborhood of Washington Heights in New York City. The scent of cafecito caliente hangs in the air. Is that like a, is that a thing it's, that I'm unaware of? If you like sugar, um, you'll love it. Oh, it's like a time. It's a type of coffee. Yeah. Like a spicy coffee. Yeah. Okay. The scent of cafecito caliente hangs in the air just outside of the 181st Street subway stop where a kaleidoscope of dreams rallies this vibrant and tight knit community. At the intersection of it all is the likable magnetic bodega owner Usnavi, originally played by Lin Manuel Miranda. Is likable <laughs> magnetic. Very magnetic. Ooh, that suave part I wrote for myself. Suave. Uh, who saves every penny from his daily grind as he hopes, imagines, and sings about a better life. The See, he's, he wants to. He wants to write the perfect song. He wants to make, like I said, the perfect bodega that will save everything. Yeah, we'll save Washington Heights from gentrification. 
The neighborhood of Washington Heights began as a middle-class neighborhood with many Irish and Eastern European immigrants and has a large Jewish community. Uh, there is a pretty stark divide, both geographic and demographic, between the east and west sides of Washington Heights. Uh, it's this is like what north of of this is like yeah Washington Heights is so named for the George Washington Bridge, mm-hmm. um, which if you've ever been to New York uh, is the northernmost bridge in Manhattan. If you've ever seen Sully, uh, it's the bridge he flies over oh, right okay. before he crashes in the Hudson, and uh, it's the largest bridge in New York City by a, a fair pitch. It's the only double decker. So basically, Washington Heights isn't like is I believe it starts around uh, uh, like the 160s, like 165 Mm -hmm. and goes up to like the 190s. And then after that, it turns into Inwood. So I lived on 175, which is where the George Washington Bridge is. Mm -hmm. It runs along 175th Street and then on 181 uh, a few years later. Okay, And it sucked. (laughs) <laughs> you were there this is like what 2012 13 yeah yeah it was sort of like um intermittently while i was at usc i would uh, go back to uh, new york every summer and live with lisa who mm-hmm. lived on 175 and then at a, at a certain point she moved to 181 ish um it was actually fort george which is sort of like uh the the uppermost point part of that which is just like the top of the weird hill mm-hmm. well like i said like there's a kind of stark divide between the two so in the heights takes place on the dominican side and uh then there's the white side which is such a we it's like literally a gated community like there's a wall around this uh place i forget what it's called but like that's where all the like white kids that go to sty live i literally knew a white kid that went to sty on the uh, west side of uh, washington heights so basically it's oh stuyvesant hi stuyvesant Okay, so New York has these charter schools. <laughs> I'm just like blank. Like, I don't know what you're I talking you, about. I thought you lived in Connecticut. Okay, so New York has these charter schools. There's three of them. One is, uh, like, I think, uh, Polytechnic, Brooklyn Polytechnic. I forget what the other one is. But, like, Stuyvesant is the most, uh, like, prestigious. And you have it's to take fancy, a big fancy. test. to Yeah, it's a, it's a public school, but you have to take a test to get in there. And, okay. like, you know, only, like, 0. .00 whatever percent get in. Oh, so it's um, very exclusive. Yeah, it's very exclusive. Um Washington Heights is sort of bifurcated with a valley. Uh, do you have you ever been up there where there's like this? I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a musical I number in the think, tunnel. I feel like I've been. <laughs> I feel like my friend Logan, when he first moved to New York, was around the Washington Heights area because I do remember him living close to the bridge. Have you ever been in the 180 with the 181st Street Tunnel? It's possible, but I honestly don't remember. Oh, you would you would remember? Okay, it, trust I, me, I it is like. Been then like horrifying like you walk through it and it's every time it's a miracle you don't get murdered okay. like no then in like, that case not, no, i have not gone not literally it just feels that way okay. because it's it's very like independence day a fireball is gonna get me from <laughs> like one end or the other that's all right well throughout the 60s and 70s white residents began to leave the neighborhood for nearby suburbs as the black and latino populations increased dominican americans became the dominant group by the 1980s and was designated Little Dominican Republic along with Inwood to the north. The neighborhood today is the most prominent Dominican community in the United States. Uh, yeah, I always think of East Coast when I think of Dominicans. I, be- yeah. I feel like I don't know that many out in California, just as a population. Miranda wrote the earliest draft of In the Heights in 1999 during his sophomore year of college. After the show was accepted by Wesleyan University Student Theater Company Second Stage, Miranda added freestyle rap, bodegas, and salsa numbers. Uh, And this one act reportedly sounded like a hip hop version of Rent. It was nominated for 13 Tony Awards. You don't have any comments on that? I'm just trying to move past it. Like, I don't want to go past the trauma. (laughs) (laughs) Is this like Rent is the plane crash of music? Oh, God. I did see some headlines about it, too, being like that the closest to. yeah, uh, the closest, like, the analog to that's closest to this film is Rent, and I was like, Oh, oh God. boy, <laughs> I've been trying to like bury it oh, down and boy. not think about it. Oh, before okay, I go okay, in. okay, okay. Like in fairness, in fairness, Rent is noxious because those characters are so privileged. Maybe since it takes place in Washington Heights and is like you know features natives of Washington Heights, it won't be so noxious. Yeah, it's true. Maybe they like, you know, reach out to their families when they're trying to yeah. help them and then they're yeah, exactly. like, self involved and Yeah. The, whenever their mom calls, they don't roll their eyes and be like, She's offering me money again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's up with parents loving me and like wanting me to be okay? Uh, it was nominated for thirteen Tony Awards and won four, including Best Musical and Best Original Score. 
This Lin-Manuel guy is going places. Yeah. So I think Lin-Manuel Miranda actually grew up in Washington Heights, which would make sense. Because yes. uh, it, like, it, it has a big Dominican um, contingent, but also a very big Cuban and Puerto Rican contingent uh, up there. And his dad is from Puerto Rico. And so I believe, obviously, Lin-Manuel was like one of those shameless theater kids. And, you know, that's why he ended up at Wesleyan and, you know, did pretty well for himself. Because like in the Heights, he wrote when he was like, you know, 21. That's crazy. That's insane. (laughs) And I believe it premiered on Broadway when he was 24. I think you would mention this when we were doing Hamilton. Yeah, I remember. No, 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 no. I'm I'm wrong. He would have been 28 uh, when it premiered on Broadway. under 30. I did not have anything on Broadway before I was 30 years old. Yeah, because he like started it like, <laughs> you know, really early. He like the the one act when he was in his early 20s and then it made it up to Broadway at the age of 28. Jesus. And, then it and that's why time. everyone's mad at Lin-Manuel Miranda now. Why? Because he succeeded? He's too good. He's too good for his own good. Like I literally like I just Googled Lin-Manuel Miranda and the first thing that popped up was how Lin-Manuel Miranda went from cool to corny. Like was, <laughs> BuzzFeed uh, News. There you go. That's a reputable source when it comes yeah. to. Yeah. Well, BuzzFeed News is reputable. BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed News not. is. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So the BuzzFeed News said it, it must be true. I mean, it's, it's true that there is definitely a, a Lin-Manuel backlash happening right now. I'm sure that like in five or 10 years, there will be like a really sizable backlash to the backlash. You know, these things come in cycles. So we're currently in the in the period, which is a perfect time to release into Lin-Manuel mo- <laughs> movie yeah, right now. A Lin-Manuel a joint. Well, he's not in it, so it should be fine. I wonder why he's not in it like at all. He's, he's, he's he old. He, but he doesn't make like, like guest appearances like the older bodega owner or something. I'm sure. I'm sure, he, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he's in it. <laughs> like, but, you know, like he because he produced it. He got paid. Listen, this is 2021. Age doesn't matter anymore. Fucking Robert De Niro played in The Irishman. They could have just Irishman him and like made him 30 years younger oh, and had yeah. him like walk all God. different. That's good. That's good that we can do that now. We don't need to hire people anymore. No. We just have, you CGI. know, Rocky 25 and like yeah. <laughs> it'll take place right after Rocky 2. <laughs> uh, okay. So, but he's not like a, pr- a prominent role as far as we know in it. So he's not in right. it, like the, he's not reprising, which is probably better because I think that was like our big criticism of Hamilton, if I yeah. remember correctly, was that he was the weakest link, even though he wasn't bad. And obviously yeah. he was like, we didn't fault him. As a him. performer, yeah, yeah, he definitely was kind of, but at the same time, like we agreed that. You're like, yeah, if you fucking wrote that, like, of <laughs> yeah. course you're going to leave. You're gonna, and I'm like, I'm not even mad about it. I get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course he's going to star in it. Yeah. Is this the only one that you have not seen out of, out of all the episodes we've done? There, there are several that I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen six. I hadn't seen American Idiot. I hadn't seen SpongeBob SquarePants. The Broadway oh, that's right. Ratatouille, so obviously. Had, no had not had seen. seen. T- yeah. So sure. this is okay, not the first right. time we've both gone in blind. That's true. And I don't want to make it sound like I have like you know like I have something against the show. There's just like my sort of like bad experiences living in Washington Heights just kind of lent a disinterest to like you know ever seeing the show, even though everyone was obsessed with it. No, it makes perfect sense. I, I totally yeah. understand. Yeah, I, I totally, I do not fault you for that. I, I wish I could say I'm looking forward to this, <laughs> but I think I like once it, once it gets going, I'll, I'll get into it because, you know, the critics are, are like, woo. I also saw some parallels to uh, a Moulin Rouge, apparently. Again, this is from the brief. I keep trying to not read anything, cause it's, but it's mm-hmm. hard because there's so much coverage of it. And mm-hmm. I think Twitter at this point is like, hey, you're a fucking musical idiot here. It just keeps showing me musical stuff. And I'm like, no, we're trying to avert my eyes. You know, you can train Twitter not to do that. I don't know how to do these things, Lindsay. I'm just, you I just, barely, I know how to not tweet. Interested. You click not interested. You Like, that's how I used to, well, I mean, I do have a secret Twitter, but like, I, oh. <laughs> like, oh. you just click not interested. Fair enough. All right, so we're going to go watch In the Heights, but before that, we hope you enjoy what uh, Simon and Pores has rated the greatest ad reads in the podcast industry. We hope you enjoy them. So we'll be back after this. This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles, such as Autonomy. Acclaimed author Malcolm Gladwell leads this feature documentary about the emerging technology of self-driving vehicles and the big questions that they raise. What is control? And who do we become as we relinquish it to machines? One thing is for certain, there is no stopping them. The machines will soon be here. And I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. And I'd like to remind them that as a trusted podcasting personality, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground sugar caves. You can also get access to our streaming video service, Nebula, 
when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. The Streamy Award-nominated Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators, not demolishers, knocker-downers, topplers, annihilators, or crushers. Unless you're talking about Dr. Beverly Crusher, in which case, count me in. So why do I need Nebula if I've already got CuriosityStream? Do you seriously still not know? CuriosityStream is all about big-budget nonfiction videos, and Nebula is a place for smaller indie education-type creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. With Nebula, you can see original, you know, that, that word, that content word I don't like, uh, from creators like Princess Weeks, Patrick H. Willems, and of course, our good friend and very own Lindsay Ellis. Right now, you can get CuriosityStream and Nebula for only $2.99 a month or $15 for the full year. Again, all you got to do is go to curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. Once you get the code, you get a welcome email from Nebula giving access to the goods. You'll be back. Then you'll see just how hard it is to really lead. We're back. <laughs> Washington Heights belongs to the... To the people? I don't know. What? I don't know. I don't know who belongs to you. I haven't been there in 10 years. Anyway, we're, sure. we're, we're back I feel tomorrow. Like, based on the movie, apparently Washington Heights is very nice now. It's like... <laughs> I, I, that's, part of, that's one of my questions that we have to get into about what era of Washington Heights this is supposed to be. But anyway, we went and saw the movie. It was a lovely screening. We enjoyed it. We had, we had friends. A lot of fun. Yes, we had a little party. We went afterwards to have like a drink and some food at a place that was across the parking lot. And there was a live band. It was amazing. Yeah, I had a, a nice time. Lot. I mean, we had a whole like crash course in gentrification because literally the last time you and I had been in that mall area was yeah, in two th- the year of our Lord 2010. And it was not nice. And now it is like gentrified AF. And we were like, wow, this is great. Washington Heights is very different now. <laughs> right. It, it feels like an ad to come visit Washington Heights. Yes. And I think the irony is in a musical about kind of the um the way gentrification degrades communities. Boy, is this movie going to raise the property value in Washington Heights. Right. And no, it's going to be super, yeah. Like any filming location it ends up becoming a place where everybody wants to go to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there kind of was there. I was like, usually there's like the real estate developer who's like the evil guy wearing like a suit being like, oh, right. I, I want to buy all your buildings for like. Well, I mean, that guy was there, right? Right, right. He was the guy running the, uh, not the, what is it, the laundromat, the organic right, right, laundromat. Yeah. yeah. You, you saw, you know who that was, right? He looked really familiar and I couldn't yeah. remember who, who. Oh, wait. Was it the guy from fucking uh, Hadestown? Yes. Oh! <laughs> Yes, it was it Patrick literally. Page. I looked him up on IMDb and I couldn't figure it out. As soon as I saw your I face like, right now, you just I, telling yeah. me, I was like, why do I know that face? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm surprised you didn't hear me go, because ah! I was like right <laughs> behind you. I was like, it's Patrick Page. Ah! Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Patrick that was driving Page me crazy. Fire. Ah! Oh, driving he's gentrifying Washington Heights. Gentrify me, Daddy. He's all. Uh, he's all. I'm buying the store. Right. That was yeah. him from Hades Town. He had the super yeah. deep voice. Well, yes. anyway, so what? Uh, in the Heights, the the story of Washington Heights. A it takes place in the year of living thinking. I don't know that that was a that really uh, cons- confused yeah. me. Yeah. So this this show takes place in the or rather this movie. <laughs> the show takes place in a place in time. The movie yes. takes place in the I don't fucking know. Um, it centers on the main character of Usnavi who uh, wants to move to Dominican Republic, a place he has not visited since he was like, I don't know, nine. Uh, the movie has four-ish main characters. Usnavi is the mainest because he's our Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. Um, there are the two uh, women under 30. Mm. <laughs> is that a th- What am I missing? I feel like I, I should have caught on to like, that joke. I felt the same way about with Hamilton where I'm just like, mm. When there's a woman on screen, I'm going to press fast forward. <laughs> but like this one was just like so much worse. Anyway, this is just uh, my. You're saying well. in terms of them just being like flat characters that are not as developed. Right. Okay. I just can't stand. Well, anyway, so right. Nina, who is the uh, mainest of the two female characters, uh, her main arc is that she got into Stanford. She mm-hmm. is sort of like the model minority, and that she got like straight A's as a kid. She got. I don't want to say a full ride to Stanford, but go like pretty good ride out to Stanford. She got out there, decided it wasn't for her, came back. And we'll talk about that later. 
Then there's Vanessa. Yeah. I I feel like she's kind of like the Mimi of the show. I don't know. Like they don't say what her deal is, what her family is. All we know is that uh, she's a wannabe fashion designer. Mm-hmm. She has her own apartment in Washington Heights, but she wants to live on West Fourth Street. That's down by the village, right? Anyone for all who of us, lives for non New York natives. Well, I mean, like, okay, I'm just like anyone who lives in New York will tell you that's a ridiculous dream to have, but we'll get back into that. Okay. And then there's Benny, who... Which one's Benny? I'm forgetting. <laughs> Which one is that? He's the black guy. He's the Leslie Odom Jr. Oh, fucking Dr. Dre. Right. Okay. So That's what uh, I keep remembering. I'm just like, I loved him. I loved... Uh, <laughs> I love Straight Outta Compton so much that for, forever in my brain, he's Dr. Dre. Mm. He's got serious eyelashes, by the way. As a total aside, I was like, I, I was, and I he, felt his character threatened. also like actually <laughs> had uh, um, like a, a like a thing to do in the show, but not so much in the movie. Uh, um, but yeah, so basically, there are four main characters. I feel like Benny is kind of ironically like the Benny of like in the Heights because Benny, as as uh, many longtime listeners will know and longtime theater fans will know, is the name of uh, the character who was uh, pop or originated slash popularized by Tay Diggs in uh, Rent. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and, right, 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 right. I forgot He about was that. the gentrifier yes. <laughs> in Rent. Uh, and uh, I, I, I have to assume that that was deliberate because, as we know, Lin-Manuel Miranda is a very big fan of Rent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Rent's influence is felt very strongly in this and also, but arguably strongly err in the movie version. Okay. Uh, because I feel like as I was watching it, I was very confused um, because I, the only thing I really knew about it going in was that the show took place during the blackout yeah. of 2003. Mm-hmm. A thing that happened, a historical event that, you know, as blackouts often do, killed a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, changed a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the second, like, uh, Abuela shows up, I'm like, oh, she's going to die of heat stroke. Because yeah. that was a, that was a whole thing. I mean, like, it's not just obviously in the United States. Like, uh, just like a few general. years later, like, yeah. there was a big one in Spain. Like, something like mm-hmm. 20, 30,000 people died. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, th- there's one in the UK a couple years later. Um, like, that's the thing, like, that's a, a thing that's happening, like, all over the world with climate change. Yeah. And I did find it very odd that AC was not set up <laughs> in this movie. Um, but there basically was like a, a sort of atemporalness to this movie, which I thought. Uh, atemporalness. You're going to have to dumb that down for me a little bit. It was. Um, it, it didn't have a time. It okay. Was, yes. To me, the idea of a, a blackout happening now is absurd. Because the blackout happened in 2003 and like the entire grid was redone. So I'm not saying it couldn't happen now because I have just been obsessed with uh, infrastructure YouTube lately and yeah, like all I, of the ways infrastructure can fail. But like I was going to say, you don't know if that wasn't like some fucking Russian hackers coming in and being like, we're going to shut it down, not because it failed, but because we demand Bitcoin. Well, I guess the, like, to me, I mean, in a, in a weird way, have you seen uh, the Spike Lee joint Summer of Sam? I have not seen Summer of Sam, no. So that's another kind of point of comparison because I feel like if Summer of Sam is the movie about the 1977 blackout, this was the show about the 2003 blackout. Mm-hmm. And in a way, they both kind of reflect their respective tone difference because Summer of Sam was literally, you know, as a, it's like a serial killer was bopping about and then a blackout happens. Yeah. And then it's just like looting central. It's just a nightmare hellscape. And it just like as bad as New York's property value was at the time, just made it so much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'd call Summer of Sam a good movie, but like there's no Spike Lee movie I feel is not worth watching, you know? I feel sure. like all of them are like artistic in their own way. And I feel like Summer of Sam has like some really great moments. Mm-hmm. But then you had the 2003 blackout. And it's just sort of like as we were leaving, because uh, like I feel like uh, I was the only person who was there <laughs> during the 2003 That's true. You were there. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I was there, man. I was there. And I was like, that happened? Like, yeah, it happened. Like, because I, I remember like there being like these like. It happened in the middle of the work day. People just had to kind of had to like quietly like leave their building and all the Brooklyn residents had to like literally walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. We are powerless. We are powerless. We are somebody better. So there are all these like pictures of like yeah. people like walking home. 
And this is the whole city, by the way, right? Yeah. This is, this is I mean, everything. It, it was the whole city at first, and then, like, uh, Lower Manhattan got turned on first, and then it kind of, like, went to the outer boroughs. Like, I feel like Washington Heights was kind of, like, the last. I forget why, but, like, um, it was definitely the whole city. And it was a big deal, and it's honestly kind of wild to me, because I remember, like, The Daily Show mm-hmm. um, doing, like, a sort of... Uh, retrospective on it or something no it was like while it was happening like oh, okay like like john stewart being like i'm so happy everyone is like you know supporting everybody right now and this is nothing like the 1977 blackout and you know it's sort of like this is our post 9-11 blackout we're supporting each other yeah it's interesting to me that like they could make a movie where they didn't feel the need to root it in a point in time because like to my memory that was like such in a weird way a new york landmark because like mm-hmm. the 1977 blackout was like such a a, like stain on the city's history yeah. where it's just like just looting and everybody turning it's just like anarchy and then the 2003 blackout happens and then everybody's like suddenly like nice to We're each gonna, other yeah it's exa- basically like what happens in the movie where everybody's like helping each other and making sure we have lights and yes there are fireworks but they are pragmatic fireworks <laughs> and so like the decision to root the movie just kind of in this like nebulous now instead of a specific time yeah i not your favorite i i I guess i don't know how to feel about it i don't know if it was bad or good you know if that makes sense no i understand what you're saying i i don't know what's to be gained from having it be of of ambiguous time as opposed to if they had just said it in 2003 you said is what it was right yeah i think the thing is like they add this stuff about dreamers and that was also really confusing because I'm like going in like, okay, this movie's set in 2003 when the blackout was. Yeah. And then they uh, introduced this idea of like, oh, they're going to deport the dreamers. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. But that was an Obama. Okay. Um, yeah. When is this set? I, gu- I guess the, the problem is like rooting it in a, a sort of reality is fine <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it because like as we were leaving and we were having all these discussions about it people are like but they're singing and dancing and it's just like yeah i know but like dreamers are such a specific thing with such a specific like political connotation yeah yeah um and with a specific president so it, it is like uh it's confusing a little bit yeah but I guess it was really confusing who... and that was definitely added to the movie i guess i should also say like there was yes. a lot of stuff that was added for the movie i looked up a couple of those things too yeah and that was that was one of the ones that i know that had no it was there was no mention of that whatsoever obviously right. it was 2003 but right but it also i think part of the reason why it felt weird in the movie was not because it wasn't like an interesting idea is that it just sort of there's basically no mention of it. Right. And then there's suddenly like one like, mention, like in the first 15 minutes, like, oh, no, they're going to deport the dreamers. Right. It's like a thrown in. Li- it, almost, it almost sounds like a line off screen, like they forgot to yeah. put it in. <laughs> like like a DreamWorks like, oh, movie, like, oh, no, they're going to deport the dreamers. Yeah. Which actually, it kind of bothers me that they didn't make more of a deal of it. it, it right. Felt, it, it felt like it sort of undermines the importance of it by just being like oh shit let's just put this in suddenly and that's like see we mentioned dreamers in it like it's really yeah aren't we aren't we like you know uh, progressive or something and i'm like they should have made there were so many opportunities that they could have had even thematically in terms of how um yeah uh, what's his name i I forget his usnavi uh, usnavi yeah so like usnavi (laughs) to me it's like it's 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 such an easy dynamic between the two of them of usnavi and the kid Right, where Usnavi's like, oh, I'm trying to get back to uh, the Dominican Republic. Yeah. I want to go there. I want to go there. And I wanna... all you had to do was have the kid be like, dude, motherfuckers are but getting you deported. you have the and... option. Yeah. It's, like, it it's could have been a two-second <laughs> scene. And yeah. you have been like, oh, be country. Like, oh, it was cool that you you can like yeah. choose. I am like just, you know, burdened with whatever the law says I have to yes. do. Easy. Tension. Yeah. Okay. Boom. Okay. Like, it could have just been two lines. I would have been like... And then when you find out, then you're like, oh, that's why he's like so, you know, against Usnavi leaving. And it would have created it. I just yeah, it's not a big so deal, that, but it was just more like, I don't know why they didn't do that, because it was just right there. There there was a lot of stuff that was like changed for the movie. Um, Jimmy Smith's character, Senor Rosario, uh, who is uh, Nina's father. You might know Jimmy Smith's from uh the Star Wars prequels. He was Princess Leia's. <laughs> I forgot that we have a younger audience, right? We have to mention that it's the Star Wars. And prequels. also uh, the West Wing. He was the first uh, Hispanic president. He's you know I forget. I, I didn't actually watch the West Wing. But oh, I, spoiler I, alert! I never watched it. Oh well, that's how the West Wing ends. I, I remember watching that episode. 
because I had some friends who liked the West Wing. But anyway, so that's Jimmy Smith's. And uh, like, you know, Jimmy Smith's is like, he's kind of like uh, Raul Julia. Like, in very actually, some, like, they're both Puerto Rican. Um, yeah. They're both like big stage actors. They both have these like, you know, television careers. And so I really like him in this movie. This motherfucker has not aged, by the way. Jesus I know, right? Christ. He's the same. Still so handsome. Hi, what the hi, fuck? Princess, hi, Princess Leia's dad. I see you have not aged since 2003. Christ. Tell, <laughs> tell us your tell us your skin what regimen. What deal with the devil did you make? Uh, uh, I remember NYPD Blue, which I never watched, but I remember that, that was the thing that he was on. And I'm like, dude, still looks the same. Wow. I'm sorry. I totally interrupted, but I was like. No. Okay. So, well, yeah. Jimmy Smith's character, uh, Nina's dad, uh, had a lot cut out. And I feel like, because as I was watching it, I feel like I remember feeling like thematically this feels very incomplete. And then mm-hmm. I was like texting with someone who had seen the show on Broadway. And I was like, yes. oh, okay. You're, you're bringing up the points that I was going to bring up, but go ahead. Yes. I'm glad that. <laughs> yes. Would you like to bring them up? <laughs> well, apparently. Okay. So for the thing that bumped for me was her going off to Stanford mm-hmm. and getting. And this is, I'm sorry, this is my really cynical take of it that I was watching it where I was like, motherfucker, you went through like Giuliani's New York and you never got racially profiled until you went to fucking Stanford. I was like, how did you avoid that? Explain the scene because this is uh, (laughs) new to the movie. This is not true. Yeah. Uh, So she says she goes to Stanford and her roommate loses her, I guess, like a pearl necklace or something. And then she's like, oh, I don't know where it is. And she tells the RA and then the RA comes back with her roommate's uh, parents and then they search, I think it's Nina, right? That's her name. Yeah. I just kept calling her Stanford. But Nina's, <laughs> they, they search through all of her stuff and they don't find it. And then it turns out it's actually in the roommate's like fucking sock or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, and she feels very embarrassed by this because she's like, oh, they just, they, you know, they profiled me. They treated me like shit. And she's like, and the whole time I just kept smiling and apologizing because I didn't know how else to act. And that's the reason why she doesn't want to go back to Stanford. And like she's sort of spun this elaborate set of lies with her father where she says, oh, there's the deadlines passed. You can't pay for Stanford anymore. And he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, I changed the address for all the correspondence. So it comes to me. And then the dad calls uh, Jimmy Smith's called Stanford. And he's like, what the fuck? They're like, yeah, no, it's Stanford. We'll take your fucking money. We don't (laughs) care. Like you can pay us whenever. And so this becomes like the whole tension for her throughout the movie is like whether or not she's going to go back to Stanford, which she says that she's not going to. But it's what they're trying to get her to do is to see that, like, you know, it's a big opportunity. It's important. And that becomes yeah. the main tension between and her and her dad. the thing that changes her mind is honestly like weirdly fucked up. But uh, it's the uh, it, yeah, it's like some random. Yeah, I mean, like, no, it's it's the kid that we were talking about earlier yeah. who's like, oh, no, I'm a dreamer. I didn't realize I couldn't go to college because I did not know the conditions of because of like the the like again the like when this movie takes place matters the idea that this kid did not know his limitations is kind of absurd right um and so he's like sitting like there's a very random protest like literally I went to the bathroom there there's a very emotional number and we'll get to that later but basically there's an emotional number I'm like okay pee mm-hmm. time uh, so I like leave come <laughs> back one minute later and there's a protest happening I'm like what the fuck is happening and like I was sitting next to a uh, cat black I'm like what's going on she's like I don't know they're dream or something something I was like what <laughs> which again just to clarify like inherently in and of itself is not like a bad thing it just but in it's context the logic of, the story, of it is what yeah as like in the sure middle of a blackout that, yeah <laughs> like in the middle of a blackout doesn't say what year it is yeah doesn't say what precipitated this it's just like okay and then like Uznavi's uh, little cousin is sitting there and sad and Nina's like what's wrong little buddy and he's like well I didn't know I couldn't go to college because I'm a document and she's like ooh maybe I will go to Stanford I I didn't realize I was that privileged I guess I'll go back to Stanford and then she does but so the so the way apparently that it plays out in the original I also talked to a friend uh, who had seen it. And so apparently, the, and I, I did a little bit of research too. So the way it plays on the original version, I guess, is she goes to school. Oh, so the dad owns a, uh, what is it called? Not like a taxi stand. It's a, yeah, well, yeah, he's a dispatch. Dispatch. So he sells. Like, uh, okay. So in Washington Heights, we have yeah. these things called, and I'm sorry, gypsy cabs. Um, and right. yeah, gypsy cabs are, uh, back then we did not, again, when it takes place matters, man. <laughs> this is before the green cabs. So in New York City, we have green cabs and we have yellow cabs. And they have, they serve different purposes, but this was back before they had green cabs. So before we had green cabs, we had gypsy cabs. And gypsy cabs were completely 
unregulated. Uh, so basically, uh, he would have been a gypsy cab dispatch. Yeah. So he sells like a, a half of it or like a third of it to Hades Town, so that <laughs> <laughs> to, to Hades, so that uh, she can go off and to go to Stanford. So apparently, in the original, what happens is is that she goes to Stanford, but it's not enough money for her to be able to just go to Stanford. So she's working, I guess, multiple jobs as she's in school, falls behind, gets put on academic academic probation, and then comes back and she's kind of fucking burnt out. Mm-hmm. The dad ends up being like, oh shit, like that sucks. Why don't I just sell the whole business so that you don't have to work, uh, you know, because it's like such a big opportunity for you, which to me makes a lot more uh, emotional sense and sort of an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic and justifies sort of their... And also it's like heavily implied in the original show that like the reason she's kind of failing is because of the pressure of having to represent. Yes. Like having to be like, um, like, oh, you basically are like the one person who got out of this very specific neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, it's very strange where she's just like, I'm the only Latino there. I'm just like in California, apparently. (laughs) Okay, I've never been to Stanford specifically. (laughs) However, (laughs) however. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't speak to specifically the, you know, any kind of class in Stanford, but which I imagine is probably it's, it's upper crust, but the idea that there would be no other, like anybody yeah. of, from like any, like, you know, Latin American country seems a yeah, bit suspect the, the, to me. the anecdote she gives in the movie is like that, like, um, she is at a fancy dinner and then one of the rich white donors assumes she's a waitress yeah and then all of the latina uh the workers the workers are like oh you you race trader and i'm kind of sitting here it's like but it's a diversity dinner (laughs) like everybody's like she's not like she's the only minority there um and uh you know there's like a lot of little moments like that that it feels like this would only make sense I don't know to why. To a white but mom, that, like, but, who, but, who is this for? But that, that's what I'm saying. So, so some of these things that they change, I don't like. It's stronger in in from what it sounds like the original version. I don't. Yeah. Why would you change that? I don't understand why you would take that out. Oh yeah, there, that's because like, that's more heart wrenching to me. That's more. There's like another one. Like emotional. speaking of Jimmy Smith, like Jimmy Smith's character apparently had a big uh, subplot about. Um, the Leslie Odom Jr., or as you said, Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. So Dr. Dre is Nina's boyfriend, or ex-boyfriend, because he broke up with her so she could go to Stanford. Right. And, he's a good um, dude. I understand. He's a good dude. Yeah. It's just like, she, you know, maybe at the end of four years, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. And um, in the original show, um, Jimmy Smith's character uh, was kind of a racist. And he did not like, it wasn't just that he was uh, Afro-Latino. He was just black. He was just a black guy. And Jimmy Smith was kind of a low-key racist about his daughter, who's like so good in Stanford. And like, you're too yeah. good for him. And so he did not like his daughter dating a black guy. So there was like, a lot more layers to his character and he also had like a really interesting uh, musical number mm-hmm. basically kind of about how his parents did kind of the same thing where they were both like you have to be better than the previous generation yeah while also being really judgmental about the way he chose to be better than the previous generation I hear that shit <laughs> <laughs> and I like, feel that <laughs> I, I, I I did I like I, I mean, I guess I can't speak to why they cut it, considering the director and stuff he has said about mm. this movie and why it appealed to him. Um, I don't quite understand why they did cut it, uh, because I feel like this theme of intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. is what's missing like yeah. from from the movie. Like it feels like it feels like rent, not in a good way, because it, like at least the two young women are very privileged and like uh, okay here's the thing and i was like trying to explain this like to all of the folks who had not lived in new york there is a cold pragmatism to living in new york city especially for first gen kids like if you're a first gen new yorker like your parents are immigrants and you grew up in new york and you want to stay in new york Okay, cool. So in some ways you're coming at it from a disadvantage, but in other ways you're coming at it from an advantage. And the idea of giving up an apartment or any kind of real estate is just absurd. Anywhere. Absurd. 
And so, like, Vanessa wanting to move downtown, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, (laughs) this doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, what? You want to save 30 minutes off of your commute every day? What? To what? Your job you don't have? That doesn't make any sense. And, like, um, again, like, I I, I know several first-gen kids in New York, and they just, you know live with their parents until they have the like money that no one has to even a little bit be concerned about going into debt. Mm. Let me ask you, so you felt that there's no, there was not enough of a intergenerational, what was, what is it that you said? The inter- intergenerational well, I mean, pressure. Just as, a, as a theme, like yeah. I feel like intergenerational trauma is a biggie. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was like right before we hopped on, uh, I had a screener copy of the movie. So I was uh, watching uh, Paciente y Fe, which uh, means patience and faith. And that's the... Um, is that the abuela number? Yeah, that's the abuela number, which okay. is definitely my favorite of the entire Yeah, movie. I agree. It wasn't like today, you'd say, Paciencia y Fe. Paciencia y Fe. And I feel like that kind of encompass the whole concept of intergenerational trauma where it's just like she moved to New York with her mother because her mother's like this is where the work lives and so we're going to New York little girl and so we're going to live there and this is where you're going to live for the rest of your life and so my decisions are going to dictate your life decisions Yeah. and so like her um, like literal dying number being like uh, this song about having to live under the umbrella of the decisions her mother made mm-hmm. and like i was honestly like hardly watching it because i was wearing mascara and i was like like literally looking up because i was crying and I was, like, <laughs> I was like oh no i can't have mascara on my face it's the showstopper like, it's the yeah fucking, i just like yeah. literally and that's the one that uses the 181st street tunnel and it uses it in like such a good way it's beautiful yeah yeah and, and not in a murder rape way which is what i was expecting no no it's like it's like there's and then all these and then everyone's dressed in sort of it's like white and tan yeah, this kind 1950s of. like it's really cool havana like we're working in a you know textile factory like yeah, it's all and, these people from her past are sort of coming in and yeah, out yeah, as yeah. like her backup. And then she's going in down this. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's by far the best. I mean, I, I should say it's by far my favorite number of it. Not the no, best yeah, number. it was hard. It, like, and I feel like like that's an, that's another thing. Like, side, like, I feel like the direction on the musical numbers was really great. But I feel like that one kind of encapsulates this idea of like intergenerational trauma really well. Um, as it pertains to like the decisions you make as an immigrant mm-hmm. and how you like kind of be true to yourself versus represent your, you know, uh, community versus like, you know, bring wealth to your family. Yeah. Um, and I, I, for some reason, they cut a lot of that out based on what I know about the uh, Broadway show. The first thing I do remember feeling about this. I feel like we sort of just went into a lot of the criticisms, but let me just back up here and say the things I liked about it. That's okay. It. I'm just going to say yeah. I, I did not like this movie. Uh, I, I'm of two minds about it. I'm of two minds okay, about it. Okay, let me take it back. I am also of two minds. Um, yeah. I, I like it artistically. I don't like it thematically. You go. I, I think thematically, although I didn't love the execution of the themes, I did relate to a lot of the themes that were presented through it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, so like, this is actually one of my notes where I'm just like, this is why I prefer to stick to the stage show because all of the prop, like, again, like all of the issues I had was like, well, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, like when I talked to, you know, again, a person who saw it on Broadway was like, well, here's mm-hmm. how it was on Broadway. And I'm like, oh. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And this is this is why I, this is why this podcast was supposed to be about stage. Dare shows. I say it? I was like, I kind of wish we had seen the stage show now I after learning about it too. I was like, it <laughs> sounds like it you was better. See? I think yeah. it was probably better. But anyway, go ahead. Anyway, so there's a couple of things that I thought that I related to. Right. One was Usnavi's. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me back up. What I started with was saying. It, it was interesting to watch this because I could tell that this was written by a young person, mm-hmm. at least in its initial inception. Right. And, and Lin-Manuel Miranda was like, what, in his early 20s, we were saying in the first mm-hmm. half. Part of this has to do with I was looking at Usnavi's character of like this longing for here's this place that I'm from, but I've never really lived in and I've never really known and the sort of fantasy that you create in your mind mm-hmm. of like, I wonder how much of my life would have been different if I had been in the place where I was supposed to be. 
Right. So, yeah. You know, supposed to like in quotes, but right because because you've you've been to Iran. Uh, basically, when Uznavi went to DR, right? Like uh, I went. Uh, yeah. What was he? He was nine. They he's say like yeah, nine ish. Yeah. yeah. I was like seven when I went, and I went for like two weeks, and I don't remember. I mean, I remember some of it, but it was just like it was so fucking weird to me because I had never traveled internationally. So I just remember being like, and then I got sick. It, it was really kind of like not really a good trip, but not because <laughs> not, anything. Not like his Navi's like, yeah, no. yeah, like rose colored glasses. <laughs> it, was, it was not this thing where like, I, you know, I don't look back on Although the trip I and I'm like, oh, fairness, I wish I could have lived. In fairness, like going to DR and going to Iran. It's are, very different, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very like, I mean, I guess, yeah, because like the U.S. is like. Are, are, you're all right. You're all right, DR. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll shunt you some earthquake, you know, international aid. So this, this is sort of the rabbit hole I started going down in terms of thought of like thinking about each of these characters and how they relate, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I was just being like filtering it through my own experiences. So it, it, I remember, especially in my early 20s, like late teens, it's like this weird fantasy that you have of like, oh, I wish I had what it, what it had been like if I had grown up where I was supposed to have grown up. And then I thought that was like a really interesting framing device, which, by the way, I was kind of not bummed, but I kind of wished that he had gone to the Dominican Republic at the end of this because I thought that well, was such I mean, an interesting didn't really inversion. Make any sense that just like you could just go for a weekend, man. <laughs> like it's right there. It's a five-hour flight. It's not that far, and you own a business. Like it doesn't make sense that he just can't go and be like. Mm. Not for me, and then just come back. Like it is very strange that it's it. Odd. Like, it, it felt very 18th century, you know, that it's just like you have to, like, buy a thing. Like, I had to get that, on a ship that's going to go down the. Yeah, you have to buy an island unseen, uh, like, six years in advance. Like, no, that, that, I, I, I feel like it's sort of like I'm missing the forest for the trees, but the opposite of it. Like, I, I loved the style and the execution of so much, but I felt like the backbone of the story was just, like, so flawed. Like, all of the character motivations were just so, like, flimsy. That was sort of, like, my problem with it. Like, who gives a shit if you go to DR? You can come back. Like, <laughs> I've moved to California, like, six times. Especially if you have dual citizenship and, like, you already own... Apparently, he already owns, like property down there it's not a big deal and like i'm sitting here thinking about like abuela's apartment is the thing you need to be concerned about sir like that's the like that's some rent stabilized shit like again like like again there's a cold pragmatism to living in new york city who cares about your property in dr well that's exactly (laughs) what i'm talking about though like this is what i mean by it's a young person's document or documentary it's a young person's story Right. It's like there's that sort of not having the pragmatic foresight about like property values for one. And then there's the girl who go, and then there's Nina who I guess. goes. When, I say, when like, you say young person, you must mean like 13. Right. <laughs> because I'm like sitting like as a 22 year old, I'd have been like, leave, leave. Let me have that rent stabilized apartment is <laughs> Like, let me gentrify that shit. Like, holy fuck. Because, you know, I spent like a lot of time trying to think like, why did I hate Washington Heights so much? Mm-hmm. Because. I the place I lived before that was Crown Heights, which was Crown Heights. You know the Brooklyn Museum. Yes. So it's about like uh, four or five miles east of that. It's also a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood, mm-hmm. and I got the reason I left is because I got priced out because I lost my job and I couldn't afford to live there anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of got shunted off to L.A. and then I got bopped back to uh, Washington Heights. And, like, why do you dislike a place? A part of that is, like, I never felt like I, you know, had a place to, like, call my own. I never had a cheers, you know. But uh, also, like, the apartments were really bad. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'm looking at Abuela's apartment this whole movie. Like, <laughs> like I could not enjoy the last 30 minutes of the movie because I'm like, who's, <laughs> who's getting the apartment? Who's getting it? Who's getting that apartment? Because that's a sweet-ass apartment. I don't see any cockroaches. Like, I see, like, oh, my. What's the, the, there's a comedy that they do this, right? Where they all, is it Seinfeld or something? Where they, like, pretend to be related to somebody I who think, died. Yeah, to take, I, or it's like I, a I, Sex in the City or something. I'm yeah, what it was. I'm pretty sure it's Sex in the City. It was definitely in 30 Rock. It was in 30 Rock. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's just like it's just a reality of living there. It's like, oh, it's so sad that Abuela died. But who gets the apartment? Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, if you have an apartment in Washington Heights that's just like not swarming in cockroaches and has more than 30 square feet, you don't go to fucking DR. I don't know. Well, in that case, he makes the right decision by the end of it, right? He doesn't actually end up leaving for the wrong reasons. And this wrong is like reasons. another one of my notes that I have is like I have never rooted for a main couple less. 
Eh, it's fine. Again, it's young. It's young people. We're. I think we're mature, quote unquote, comparatively. No. I feel like I would have totally made some of those choices and like chased after no, those Vanessa kinds sucks. of dreams when I was young. Yeah, fuck, fuck Vanessa. Vanessa sucks. <laughs> I had a point about uh, the NYPD. Yes. Because we were trying to figure out, like, why did this feel kind of, like, weirdly sanitized? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we stayed to the end of it, which was fun because, like, there are a lot of Hamilton Easter eggs in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's like the fucking Hamilton cinematic universe, as we were saying. Which was cute. Um, and, like, there's this, like, so Lin-Manuel Miranda is in it um, as a sort of little cameo character who is the... Uh, shaved the, ice guy. Yeah, the ca- the shaved ice guy. And he has a little... Uh, uh, it's a rivalry. rivalry going with uh, Christopher Jackson, uh, who you may know as uh, George Washington from Hamilton, it's as the uh, Mr. Softy guy. And like the second I was just like, well, I'm invested in this. Yes. And so, <laughs> I was like, like, that subplot was great. Yeah, that subplot was And so like we kind of stayed through the end of it. Um, and then if you stay at the end of the credits, there is yeah. a, uh, you know, Peter Agua, Sets Mr. Up Softy. The in the Heights film. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but like, you know, at the very, very end, it thanks the NYPD. And I was like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> because, like, again, it's, it's, I, I have not lived in Washington Heights for um, 10 years, but Washington Heights is a very heavily policed neighborhood. And, mm-hmm. like, when this was written, was during Stop and Frisk. Functionally, we're still kind of living under Stop and Frisk. Um, and so I feel like that's part of why the whole thing felt kind of like, weirdly utopic like sanitized i think you said sanitized it. yeah it's just yeah. like the the relationship the community has to the police is just absent because apparently the nypd gave them free shit and you know i understand again cold pragmatism movies cost money to make uh, <laughs> you know sure. uh, yeah, especially like in coming after the you know the george floyd stuff it's just it, it feels a little abrasive because like that was another reason why living in Washington Heights kind of sucked was because it was so heavily policed. Yeah. It's just constant, constant police activity. Um, and not necessarily because anything wrong was happening. It's just because that's where all the money was going. Yeah. Um, and another funny thing was like literally as, as I was like going up to film this, um, a lot of people don't know uh, that like the fire hydrant stuff is a deliberate, b illegal. So one thing that happens in like, you know, uh, a lot of neighborhoods, especially in uh, neighborhoods with a lot of kids in them and not a lot of pools. Basically, in the summer, they wait for the police to leave and they just, you know, they take wrenches and then they open the fire hydrants and then they basically it's like a little water. water, Yeah, yeah, they play in the water. I've seen a million movies. too. Yeah. 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 Real quick, going back to the cop thing is that's not really prevalent in the in the uh, stage musical either, though, as far as we know. No. So, I mean, it could just be like a artistic license thing of saying this is the the fantasy world that we want to have of in the heights and this is all the stuff that we love about it and discuss that rather than because i think you should be allowed to make something where you're like yeah fucking cops suck we don't want to fucking have them all well, here's just the counterpoint it's, it's just like if you're trying to make this relevant just like well what about the dreamers it's just like yeah but this is also happening in the in the year of our lord george floyd you yeah. know like I, I feel like it, it is kind of weird to like draw this like real like this 2021 realism of the mm-hmm. problem dreamers are having and then just ignore the policing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I feel like you should just fucking keep it in 2003. Mm, that's fair. OK, so I did have some thoughts about some of these bigger set pieces, specifically it was the pool number and the the club that they go to where he's like trying to get her a drink and then they're like salsa dancing. Mm -hmm. Which also we should talk about the songs, which we haven't even addressed yet. But I feel like I saw him go, John, uh, John Chu, trying to go towards a certain amount of craziness, like with the editing and with the set pieces. And I was feeling it. And I was kind of like, and it sort of seemed like it was going toward, I mean, not Moulin Rouge is sort of the example of, of something that we both agreed on that, like, I really loved the editing and sort of the insanity of the visual style of it and i felt like i could see him like wanting to do that here Mm. and he started to really like pick it up and then it kind of scales back and i kind of felt like uh, those were some of my other 
favorite parts of the movie. And I, the only thing I have to say, it's not really a criticism, but just sort of like, I wanted more of it. Like I, mm-hmm. I yeah, kind of yeah, wish yeah. he had gone like fully insane with it. Cause I got the sense from the way that they were doing it and the way he was cutting it is that like, that's where he wanted to go and that's where he was headed. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's because it's like a big risk. They're like, Oh, you're not Basil Lerman. You're not like a person that like is just your own specific brand name that you can't get that insane with it. But I, I thought the editing looked like it was heading towards a certain insanity yeah, which I was no, excited I mean, I'm about. I'm really excited. Like, I feel like, and it got more about that. Like, there, there was one scene towards the end between um, Nina and Benny, where they're on a really obvious green screen. Um, oh, the Spider-Man just, sequence. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're just, like, basically, they're on a um, a fire escape. And they're just like, mm, you know, we're just chilling. And you're just like, where? Weird. This is a really obvious green screen, considering everything's been shot on uh, location up to here. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into like a, a dance number, like uh, Jamiroquai virtual insanity, where they're like, you know. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's literally into the Spider-Verse. They're just like, they're walking on yeah, the side yeah. of the building. They're walking and they on the side of the building. Inside, and they're like, what's happening? Yeah. And it was, How do they know, get these powers? And that was great. And I also like, that was part of where I was like, really kind of impressed with John Chu and sort of like watching this feeling excited for what John Chu was going to do next, you know, because I feel like he's, you know, as a person who started with step up, he has really stepped up as a director, (laughs) you know, I feel like he has really grown. You know, I feel like this has been a lot more like he has, he started out as a really safe, you know, Hollywood director and he mm-hmm. has like grown a lot artistically yeah. it, despite being also very commercial and so uh, yeah honestly like I, I, I left feeling very positive John Chu feelings no, he's got, just, he knows what despite he's doing. not loving the screenplay yeah yeah I guess overall it's like our biggest complaint sounds like with the actual screenplay and not really with the yeah. filmmaking itself but I, I feel like that is also kind of on John Chu because like sure. uh, you know he, he he's obviously going to have had a pass some, at the script, yeah. Yeah, who who decided what at the screenplay stage? Fair enough. Um, music. I don't remember any of the songs, but I do remember feeling like it was really interesting to listen to it because I could. I felt like there was parts where I was like, "Oh, this seems like a prototypical thing." Yeah. Like, like getting ready for Hamilton. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah, why yeah. that was interesting Especially to me, but it was like the way the women were introduced were yeah. very like Eli- you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. And then, and then, like the sort of even hearing him rap, it sounded like Lin, yeah. even though it wasn't him. Honestly, this is why I feel like maybe we should do Moana soon because I feel like Moana is. Oh, he wrote uh, the songs in that, right? I'd be interested in that sort of as like a theme of, yeah, of yeah, following it, his writing. Yeah, because yeah. I as I as I was like rewatching this right before we recorded it, I was thinking like Moana was a really interesting sort of like growth because you don't see a lot of either in the Heights or Hamilton in Moana. It is mm. way more Alan Menken, but at the same time, it's just like I feel like that's kind of like a testament to him that he could sort of do that. You know, it kind of shows that he can grow and sure. he can kind of like spread outside of his comfort zone yeah okay so anyway uh, like i said earlier of two minds of it it's it's also weird to see something that was done way before like his prior to like his magnum opus become something that's released now this is interesting like i don't love any musicals really but this was just sort of interesting because we're invested in our boy lin manuel Mm mm-hmm I'm glad I had seen Hamilton before I'd seen this because it gave me an interest in sort of like looking at it from that perspective, like finding yep. a an earlier album of like a band that I really liked. Like I said, something you'll never hear me say, but like I kind of wish we had seen the stage version. <laughs> I, I also <laughs> wish we had been able seen to see that. It, it, it yeah. sort of made me thirsty to be like, I kind of wish I'm curious now about like having seen these themes like executed yeah. in like a more. And yes, I know there are bootlegs, way. kids. I don't. But I don't, there's no good bootleg. Yeah, they're it, all from like 2008. They're all like they're, all, they're we didn't even have iPhones yet. Like, come on. But regardless, I think everyone should go see it. It's an important movie. It's a big deal that they're that a studio is putting this much money this much money into a movie like this that represents this kind of population and has this kind of cast and this kind of director. So even if it was dog shit, I would have been like everybody go give money to it and see it because that's just kind of how I roll personally. But mm-hmm. I don't that's my thoughts, generally speaking. But it was not dog shit. I'm saying even if it was, I would have said that. Because <laughs> that's just how I feel about it. No, um, there was a lot to like about it. I uh stand by the, you know, person I talk to who did see it on Broadway and say that my feelings were extremely mixed. 
But uh, anyway, if you want, I think it's it's on HBO Max now for the next couple of weeks. Um, so you can check it out or go to a theater if you can, if it's safe. So you can find us on Twitter. Don't tell us how you feel about it because apparently Lindsay doesn't care. No feelings. <laughs> but Kavi cares. I care. It's true. I care too much. Uh, anyway, we are at musicals. He, he, he compensates. Like for all I don't care, he cares too much. <laughs> so be nice. Uh, yeah. We are at Musical Splaining <laughs> on Twitter with no G. We are at Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. I am my own personal account on Twitter is at Kavitarian, and I am at Permafriends on Instagram. Please go check out my fun comics. And uh, if you get a chance, please check out our sponsor links. And if you can give us a review, all that kind of stuff helps us out to bring you more quality Lin Manuel content. Oh, yeah. If we get uh, that was a joke. I don't I, we, we don't make content. That's not what we do here. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Uh, so <laughs> we won't make new content ever again. Never we again. Don't make content. We don't make content, but we'll we'll record more episodes where we discuss things because we have a show. Yeah, because that's what we do. We record a podcast. That's right. a show. Well, we'll see you uh, on the next show. Any idea what we want to do next? We haven't decided yet. Should we decide right now? No, we're not going to do it. Lindsay's giving no, me a No, I just cut. gave you an L, no, man. No, no, no. All right, All right. We won't. we'll decide later. I'm cutting. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>